Welcome to Reckoning. My name is Ingrid, and I'm starting this podcast to share open and honest discussions about our experiences with death. I'm hoping that as a culture, we can grow to talk about it without it being feared as a heavy, scary, and overwhelming topic. Let's talk about it more, get a little more comfortable with it, wrestle and wonder and ask questions. Let's reckon with it. We all have to deal with this aspect of life. We will lose everyone we know, and we ourselves will die. So how can we face this reality with eyes more open, with some grace, humility, understanding, and even appreciation? How can we embrace this aspect of being a human and use it as a way to grow, learn, and expand? The goal of this podcast is to turn toward these shared experiences, using our stories and collective wisdom to gain some courage and strength and skill to face it. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen to and have these conversations with me. Thanks for being willing to reckon with the topic of death and dying. This interview is part of a series of seven interviews I did with classmates for a project in my end-of-life class. I'm so grateful to them for sharing so vulnerably and taking the risk to tell their story to me when some of us have only met on Zoom or only met in this one class. If you haven't checked it out yet, I created an episode where I combined all seven interviews into one, and I highly recommend listening. is Kristen Lucas and I live over in uh, Bend, Oregon. We're, we're in class together and we're studying social work and <laughs> um, you know it, it's I think it's really fun to now we have this like kind of a new way to relate to each other you know like sh- digging in a little bit more to our personal stories. Um, so I, yeah I just I appreciate you taking that risk and being vulnerable with me so um, thank you for that and yeah, um, it sounds like I've heard a little bit in class, but it sounds like you have a very personal relationship with death. Um, and so I'm just, yeah, curious what your story is and what you feel like sharing with us. Sure. Well, I'm excited to share. Um, it, it was quite a life transition. Um, and it, it started back in spring of 2016. Um, I started having some kind of odd symptoms like feeling a little dizzy or just weird sight stuff going on. So I, I went in to do like a routine check um, at my doctor's. Um, yeah, it was in April of 2016. And um, it all happened so rapidly. But in a nutshell, um, I the first diagnosis was I was diagnosed with medullary thyroid cancer, which is a pretty rare form. It's, it's not like one of the common ones that people will say, oh, that one's like a lesser one, just go Mm. in, you know, you can get it taken care of pretty easily. Mm. Uh, And it just, yeah, it happened so fast um, that my doctors, thankfully, were just really on it. And we um, started, I had to go and have biopsies done and the whole thing that most cancer 
thrivers, survivors go through. Um, and mm. it's like a, a whole series of different tests. And I ended up going to Portland a lot because my doctor was over at Providence Medical, mm. which was fantastic. I mean, I had really good care. Mm. Um, had through the process, I really had to learn to really be my own patient advocate because I, it just was not a familiar place for me. I normally have been very healthy, very athletic. And so going through this first process was just, um, it was like shocking, you know? Mm. And, and the day to just go back a step when I was diagnosed, um, it just felt like my world was crashing down. You know, it felt like, wait a minute here. Like I thought I was going to like probably live forever. <laughs> you know, I don't think about my death. I mean, mm -hmm. I think about my life in the here and now, not, mm -hmm. you know, like what is this going to mean? Um, so yeah, I, it, it progressed rapidly. Um, I ended up by the end of the summer, I was in surgery. I had a eight and a half hour surgery and they took out eight lymph nodes and my thyroid. Oh, wow. So Full, they call it a mid uh, neck dissection, the, the, the term, the medical term for mm. it. Um, but successful, they, they thought they got it all at that point, which is really huge with this type of cancer because there is really not um, a good treatment for it. It doesn't mm. come out with chemo or um, anything mm. like that. So, but I have to step back one step because in the process of going through all this, I was still continuing to have some headaches and still not feeling good. So my doctor actually went ahead and ordered more tests like an MRI. And I actually um, was diagnosed with um, a diffuse astrocytoma, which the type of brain tumor. Oh my gosh. Um, it's like a stage two to three. Um, and so that happened really mm. quickly. Like they moved me along fast because mm. those are just what they call, I think my, my other surgeon who did my neck surgery said, there's just no such, no, no, um, good thing as a, um, like a brain tumor. It's mm. just it's not a good tumor. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, they got me in sur I had surgeries within three months of each other. Literally. Wow. Quickly. And are the, were those unrelated diagnoses? Like the one didn't cause the other, they were just completely distinct. That's what they think. That's what they think. Wow. I question that myself just at the limits of the medical profession and what they mm. know. But yeah, that's what they told me that they, the one in my head had been sitting there for probably years. Mm. Um, and actually by the time I went through the, it was, the surgery was really a long one. It, it, again, it was like another eight and a half hour. Um, oh like the full craniotomy, like mm. this over at um, Providence St. Vincent. Um, mm. And so they determined actually in the end that that tumor was not, um, it was not a diffuse astrocytoma. It was a pilocytic astrocytoma, which is like a, one that can be very uh, removed, very, uh, it, it has a good prognosis once mm. it's removed, um, won't regrow back. Yeah, so, but in the whole process, I had to literally fire my whole, almost my whole medical team, and mm. go down to San Francisco and find an oncologist down there who could give me a second opinion. So, wow. Yeah, yeah, it was really um, intensive, and that was after mm -hmm. I had just come out of my surgery for my neck. <laughs> oh so, my gosh. Yeah, and in that surgery, I spent like a week in the hospital, literally, because I had. Um, 
and I know I'm talking in circles here, but the way my brain is like remembering <laughs> the whole process. Right. No, I mean, yeah, yeah. just but, um, the story. It's like, there's so much there. So yeah. Um, just my stay at, um, for my first surgery, my next surgery on the floor at the, um, oncology floor at, at, um, Providence, at Providence Medical Center in Portland. That's where I think I really started to shift because being in the hospital for a week was like this, this time where I just couldn't get out of my little environment there. You know, mm. I had to really think about my life and like, wow, where am I going with this thing? You know, where mm. am I, you know, am I going to make it through, you know, what, what is my sense of life going to look like when I get out of here? And like, is it even going to be the same at all? Um, so those were like thoughts. Um, and I, I did have kind of a magic medical emergency the first night after my surgery at, um, I, my calcium levels bottomed out and I had just this, I thought I was having like a stroke. Mm. So, um, they, they came in and like helped me, but that night I think is where I shifted the most. Cause I went, wow, this is just really more serious than I even thought in my mm. mind. Um, and I just started, started thinking about how fragile life can be, how I can go from one stage of being totally healthy, living my life as I know it, and then boom, you know, into this other, I don't know, like just reality of what mm -hmm. life is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, that's, we were talking about that in the, in our class last week, I feel like just this, um, like how little control we have, even though we perceive that we're like, you know, the masters of our own fate and then stuff like this happens. And I, I think I tend to operate of like, like most of us, like that happens to other people, but not to me. Um, and to have, as you say, like the bottom drop out, you know, and to have it just be like, I'm in this totally different <laughs> way of being in the world. Um, yeah. Do you feel, um, I mean, I, I kind of have a lot of questions, I guess, in those moments, like in the hospital, like while you're sitting there, like asking these like really big questions and, you know, wondering what your future is going to be. Was that a painful moment? Was it fearful or did, was there any like good feeling in that space or? Yeah, I think it, it, for me, it, it was a fearful time. Um, and I, I, you know, I kind of had some family stuff going on at the same time as well um, for, for the last surgery. So it was a real shift of just um, having to find myself and mm -hmm. like in the process of being a, like this bulldoggy kind of have to be my own patient advocate. Like, oh my gosh, like the system isn't going to do it for me. You know, mm. I have to step out there and like find my own doctors, um, you know, work the system um, mm. the best to take care of myself. Mm -hmm. So that sense of resiliency, like it really started to come into play. I think mm -hmm. at that point, like, and just what is this going to look like for me, you know, down the road? Because I thought once the surgeries are over, oh my gosh, it's just going to get easier, but then it, it's sort of the beginning of a long road, you know, mm. once a cancer, once there's cancer, it's like, there's always going to be the medical tests and mm. you know, this, this continual search for, mm. is there more cancer? Is it going to come back? What's that going to look like? So 
you mm. know, trying to stay out of that fear place, you know, and letting that, allowing that to grab me and like hold me into this locked state. I didn't want to do that. So, mm. yeah. 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 I, I, I can imagine that, you know, and it, that I, I, I admire your awareness of that, you know, as you're going through this process of, I don't, I don't want to be in this space the whole time, you know, like, and, and then I think, you know, you mentioned this word shift a lot. And so I'm curious about that. Cause I feel like that seems like part of it is like, okay, if not that, if not the fear state, then what, you know, or like, this is drawing up, it sounds like really big questions. And so, yeah, I'm just curious what some of those shifts Felt yeah. Like, I mean, like the biggest thing I did for myself is I started to question my spirituality because I mm-hmm. really didn't have a sense of, I mean, I, I mean, I was raised in the Presbyterian church, but I really didn't connect with it. So mm-hmm. um, being out in nature and just doing all these great things was kind of my way to feel connected, but it didn't feel like it was quite enough. I was mm-hmm. myself searching or something bigger like what is this what am i what do i need in my life right now to feel full and whole and i ended up finding um a unity church actually in ben that um, a community mm. of people who uh, i got to know and who really supported me in my process mm. um, and i just made this shift to like allowing it to come into my life and mm. it just created this sense of knowing of just mm you know, an awareness, there is something greater than myself. Mm. I could take myself out of the picture and go, oh, okay. You know, it's all like an interconnected puzzle, you know, Mm -hmm. it just gave me support and like increased resilience through the process. Mm. Um, And then I started going and doing um, healing touch program, which um, is kind of like Reiki. I started um, Mm -hmm. actually working as a patient. I was getting Reiki sessions and got really curious about it. So I also got into that program. Um, I go to classes out in, in Boulder, Colorado, and mm. just getting to know that group of people and being interconnected just gave me this inner strength of just mm. knowing, you know, that my life had some meaning, you know, just, mm. it's hard, It's so hard to explain exactly in terms of what that meaning is, but it's just this knowing of, again, there's just going to be another place for me to go when I, mm-hmm. when I do go, mm-hmm. when I cross over into, mm-hmm. through death. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, um, yeah, I appreciate that because I, you know, it's sometimes it's hard to articulate that I, I think many of us that have experiences related to death find that it, it adds richness to life. Um, and that's a hard and weird thing to say, you know, like, but I think there's something really powerful about that truth of, um, you know, forces us to, to seek meaning and to, to seek connection and, um, you know, to, to seek something greater than ourselves, um, kind of step outside the ego and, and like our own, like minuscule life stories and be like, what is this about? Who am I and where am I going? And, so, yeah, so that, you know, on the one hand, it's, you know, I can imagine being in a hospital, terrified, confused, lost, you know, all these things we typically associate with death and dying. It's like scary and heavy and lonely. And then, but then at the same time, you know, or maybe not in that exact same moment, but out of that comes these 
really beautiful. What you're describing is really beautiful connection and exploring, you know, new faith and new relationships. And so it's- Yeah, I mean, I got, I got to speak my voice too, because mm. in the past I've been one to be quieter and hold back in the background. So mm. I think there's actually, I mean, I just, in my point of view, I believe that things do happen for a reason. So I believe that I was given this experience in this life to speak my voice and be mm. able to share uh, my journey with others that might not feel like they have the voice to mm. really speak out. Mm. So that's what I've really found through the process as well, that I can encourage other people to step forward and go, oh, okay. Yeah. I do want to share my experience. Um, and that's a healing, that's healing in itself to be able mm. to do that mm -hmm. about it and not be stuck in this fear of what next, you know, what now? Yes. Yes. It, um, I remember in college learning about the allegory of the cave. I think it's, it's Plato, but it, yeah, it reminds me of that, right? Like we go into these dark spaces and then to some degree it's powerful and meaningful to be like, I'm going to, I'm going to help somebody else walk through that darkness. Cause now I have a lantern cause I've been through it or, you know, like now I know what it's like and there's something, I, I, this is like kind of random, but I, I read a story once about um, marathon runners and um, sometimes, you know, like so often it's like this competition, right? Who can run the fastest or whatever. But there was the story about people who um, they help run with blind marathon runners. Um, and so their goal isn't to like win the race. Their goal is to like help somebody else who literally can't see, you know, where they're going. And I just think, yeah, anyway, just what you're saying reminds me of those things. Like there's a lot of power in that. Um, and I think it's, I think it's a beautiful gift. To share. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is a great gift. And I mean, now when I look back on the experience, you know, it's just been such a life-changing experience. I mean, it's, it's affected my personal life. Um, like as in like my circle of friends has completely changed. Mm -hmm. um, my home life is changing, like with my spouse. Um, and then get stepping out and going back to school. I mean, that is something I would have never planned to do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I thought I was done with mm -hmm. that stage at, at my, um, at my age, mm -hmm. so going back and getting my MSW, I mean, being in my second year of the program and just mm -hmm. getting the wisdom from the program and then going, okay, what, what wisdom do I have from my experience? Do I have that I can share mm -hmm. with others and just holding space for others who are going through their processes. So mm -hmm. that is a total shift for me because I actually come from the veterinary field and I would have mm -hmm. never, yeah, I mean, I just going into the field of social work is just not something I would have ever <laughs> considered for myself necessarily. Right. So really <laughs> speaks to that, you know, what the shift is. Uh, wow. Amazing. Yeah. That's, that's pretty cool. So, okay. So my sense of the timeline is that, so you said it started in 2016, it's 2021 now. So it's been, you know, five, five years. Um, like I, yeah, I guess I'm curious, like, I mean, so you've been in the program for over, you know, uh, you're in the second year now. So just curious, like when some of those like changes started to happen, like, was it right away? Were you like, as soon as that surgery was out, you're like, sign me up for 
you know, this new church and I'm ready for new friends or has that been a slow process of like letting go of some things and bringing in new ones? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it has been um, just, it's morphed from just beginning to just learn about myself and like, Mm -hmm. what do I really want in my life? You know, what's important to me on a daily basis. So I think it probably took um, a year to even after the surgery to even mm-hmm. step into that new group of that church group, you know, mm-hmm. and allowing it to soak in and like, okay, how does this feel to me? Is this, is this okay? You know, am mm-hmm. I, can I resonate with these other people? And mm-hmm. do I, do I allow them to come into my life? So that I think was the big first step. Mm-hmm. And then from there, it, it was more rapid because I got to know people and mm-hmm. then I went into these groups. And um, then I got closer with certain family members. Um, I have an aunt who lives out in Colorado. So, you know, she helped me out a lot um, Mm -hmm. through the process. So just reaching out to some of these other members or other people in my life has been just gradual, kind of like I look like like a lotus flower, you know, just kind of slowly Mm -hmm. coming up out of the mud and slowly Mm -hmm. opening up. Um, as I, and I, I had to gain trust in myself that I could do this process. So Mm. the whole, and I wasn't going through therapy at the time, which is pretty amazing. I mean, I, I think in hindsight, um, I probably would have done that differently, (laughs) 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 but, um, I just did a lot of, um, self-seeking, you know, Mm. in the process and, it just, yeah, unfolded, unfolded so gradually that I, it's hard to even know exactly when things clicked in. Right, 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 yeah. right. Oh, I'm so glad you brought in the Lotus image. Cause that is something that, you know, that resonates with my own like values and practices. And, you know, Thich Nhat Hanh talks about like no mud, no Lotus, which is exactly what you're talking about. Right. Like this idea that, you know, out of these terrible circumstances come real beauty. And yeah, I mean, I just, I started doing a lot of self-care, you know, what did that look like? Okay. Yoga practice, meditation, mm-hmm. self-awareness, spirituality, all these different elements, just, it, it brought me into, yeah, a totally different perspective of looking at life as not this disconnected um, mm. thing, but like, you know, we're all interconnected in one big mm circular existence so Mm -hmm. that is the perspective I think I started to gain probably fairly rapidly you know probably took Mm -hmm. a year Mm -hmm. and just um went okay this is going to be my new existence here curious did someone recommend the specific unity church to you or how like how did that come about was that something you knew about and you finally felt ready to to try it or yeah well it is interesting my uh, aunt who lives out in Colorado is a science of mind minister so meaning she she used to run CSL churches um, and she is knew this community of people in Bend here because um, she's visited and she's spoke she's done um, some talks in the area 
So she's like, yeah, I think you ought to come out and, you know, meet these people. I'm going to come and visit and we'll go to church. And I'm like, oh, okay. I'm kind of unsure because maybe <laughs> there's some, ah, just some drama or just, you know, kind of some woundedness around, you know, religion, formalized religion. And so um, I had to step out there, but, and it, and it was foreign to me because the way they run the church is so different from what I know, you know, they're all like hugging each other and, you know, mm. just this different way of approaching it, mm. but it's what I needed, you know, it's mm. what I needed in my life at that time. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I just, I, I just grew so rapidly from that mm. experience of just allowing these people to come into my heart. Mm. Yeah. So that's where it started from her. (laughs) Wow. Wow. That's neat. Need to have those people that, um, I don't know. I mean, I get the sense a little bit. It sounds like, you know, some of these shifts in your relationships with family, you know, maybe this person that like, we just don't expect what someone's gonna, like, who's going to open a door for us. And then, you know, the relationship with that person changes, or I don't know if you always had a, a close relationship with her, but, um, but that just sounds like yeah, a special one. Yeah. I mean, I think when I was back in my twenties, I lived in Portland with her and that was pretty neat getting to know her. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it didn't, it took going through this experience to be able to reach out to her and go, okay, I, I'm going to accept what you're teaching me on a deeper level. You know, mm-hmm. I get like the wisdom that you're trying to share with me I, through going to my church and, getting to know these people. And, and she helped me as well. Um, she's also a therapist, but we had to keep kind of a, um, a good, healthy relationship, you know, because she is a, um, a relative, you know, so mm-hmm. we didn't want to have too much of a dual relationship of, you know, um, aunt, niece, therapist, <laughs> mm-hmm. so it was more of just sharing her wisdom as being my aunt and mm-hmm. giving me some, um, yeah, just some directions, like a, like a roadmap of where to go. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's great. Um, and so where, where are you with it all right now in this moment? Are you, um, do you feel confident that like everything is treated and gone? Is it, is there lingering fear or concern about death for you? Um, yeah, yeah, that's a very good question. I mean, I, um, I, I actually found out in the spring of last year that there could be some cancer coming back. My mm. tests have shown that there's some elevated um, just tests. Yeah, typical cancer tests, you know, markers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I had to kind of come to terms with that because I was, you know, just kind of finishing up my first year of school and thinking I'm pretty tough and like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm over this. Like I'm, it's good. And I'm, but this was a reminder of maybe not, you know, I don't know what my life is going to look like. And um, that's where I really had to get into the gratitude piece of like each day, you know, Mm. really um, getting into my journaling and just really not taking my life for granted because I don't really know how long I have. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's where, I shifted my um, work life too to doing more uh, caregiving with, um, you know, seniors and different people that I could just look and help their lives, you know, look, look at what they're going through. And so Mm -hmm. I went even deeper with my work, um, personal like employment history, Mm -hmm. but um, yeah, I mean, I think it did shift and it just, 
um, it just, again, yeah, that, that sense of mortality, like just, I want to, I want to, I'm in a rush. Like I want to experience so many things, you know, I don't know. It's not finite, you know, I've got, yeah. I don't mm -hmm. know how much time I have left. Uh, so yeah. Yes. Yes. There's an urgency when we, when we have a timeline, um, which I, I heard someone say once that um, if, if we were immortal, if we never died, then life would be meaningless because it would be like, oh, I'll just do it later. Like, or we'd have, you know, we could, we could literally do every single thing in life. And then, and then, yeah. So I just think that's a really fascinating perspective. It seems counterintuitive. Like if I had more time, I would do more things and it would be better. But I think yeah. psychologically, yeah, we're learning. Because it it's, you know, I've had clients who have been in hospice and, you know, I look at their timeline of, oh, I only have six months left or two months left. And I can relate to that on a, in a sense, because it's like, well, I, I, I know there's going to be an ending point here. So it's like, I, I, I get these little reminders, you know, mm. health record, like, okay, there could be, yeah, there, it, it just couldn't be. It, the best way to put it is just knowing that there is an end point, you know, mm -hmm. here I am in the here and now, mm -hmm. and I've got to make the most at that mm -hmm. time, which on the end of the spectrum, I'm a little, I'm further over than some people, whatever you want to call that uh, end of life or uh, mortality spectrum. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's, I'm curious about, um, you know, how you, your work has changed or how, you know, it sounds like you work with elders or people that are maybe even in the dying process themselves, or I, I know you've had conversations with people going through a cancer process. And so, um, you know, I, that strikes me as something that puts you in a very unique position of having this personal experience, as opposed to, you know, a physician or a clinician that's like, um, theoretically, I know it's happening to you, but I don't know. Um, yeah, having the firsthand experience does give me that, that firsthand, um, just knowing of what it's like. So, I'm able to, in my work, I mean, I'm, I'm not currently working with um, sen the senior population, but I do work with IDD individuals. So they're, you know, they're, they're in different various cognitive um, places in their life because they just don't necessarily have that full capacity maybe to mm -hmm. function like, um, like some, a mainstream person would. So can you, can you explain what IDD stands for? Oh yeah, sorry, that's um, intellectually and developmentally disabled. Mm -hmm. So I've got, actually I'm working with a gal right now who would say would be like uh, having a person who's 22 years old with a 12 year old um, cognition level. Mm -hmm. So I think I'm able to just have more patience and hold space uh, for someone like that because knowing that this is what their reality is. And I mean, I have my reality which totally shifted. So it's just that, that patience level is just, mm -hmm. is grown. Um, mm -hmm. And then going back to actually where I did work with um, caregiving for, you know, elderly people um, of various stages, I, I preferred people actually who were going through dementia. Um, it was challenging, but again, being able to really patiently hold space for people knowing that that is their reality. Mm -hmm. um, is, yeah, my, my experience gave me that uh, ability to do mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Does um, like transference or counter transference ever come up for you? 
Yeah, it's interesting you say that. I actually had that come up recently in my field placement for school uh, with a husband-wife, um, and the the uh, they opted not to stay with our agency, um, but I knew that the husband, the spouse, was going through some pretty serious stuff with dementia, um, but the mm-hmm. family, and so I, I felt like I was feeling what these people were going through. I had to really be take a step back, you know, and get a little reminder from my field supervisor was like, ah, you know, yeah, there, there's definitely um, some counter transference going on. Mm-hmm. And um, I've had to just keep that in check, you know, as mm-hmm. part of my process of learning where my boundaries are and how to do my self care. So I don't get enmeshed mm-hmm. with my clients mm-hmm. <laughs> That's big mm-hmm. learning um, through the program. So, yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think for most of us in this field, I mean, this is probably true for so many fields, right? But we kind of, we get interested in it. This is a broad generalization, but like, um, I don't mean to put words in people's mouth, but like so often, you know, we get interested in something because we've had our own experience with it. Mm-hmm. And then, but then there's that tricky element of, uh, yeah, it can be hard sometimes to separate out our own personal experience from from someone else. I know that's something that I've run into, you know, with some of my field work and other jobs and things where you're like, you know, who, who is this about? You know, like I'm feeling all these feelings, but are they feeling those feelings? You know, so yeah, yeah. that takes a lot of self-awareness. It does. And I'm, I'm grateful for the other practitioners who are in my agency because they, we can get together and collaborate and kind of help one another out you know, what mm-hmm. might be going on like this and go, wait a minute, I see this is going on or mm-hmm. how can I help you with this? Or, you know, it's, it's great to have that mm-hmm. collaboration. I had another, oh, I wanted to circle back to, I mean, kind of related to this, this idea um, of, you know, like bringing this, uh, bringing our personal experiences into our work. You know, you mentioned early on the idea of patient advocacy. And I think, um, you know, that's a huge element of those of us that work in any kind of healthcare or caregiving related field is we see that, I think you had said like the system is not designed to support us most often, you know, they're like designed to make money or, <laughs> you know, they're, they're designed around the doctors and not necessarily the patients, all these things. So um, I just wanted to circle back to that. And I'm curious if you wanted to share more about you know, you'd mentioned firing your entire medical team, what that process was like and. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it started, I'm trying to think of the exact timing, probably a year into maybe not even quite, maybe six months after my first neck surgery, um, I went back to um, see my oncologist in Portland and um he had said that it probably, or actually, let me, let me step back. I think it was actually for my, uh, the brain tumor that I had had because they Mm. weren't sure what type it was. And my doctor had said, well, I think we need to go ahead and look at doing some radiation for this. And I just remember being in the room um, and just, it, it was so clear, you know, I just said, no, I'm not interested in doing that at this point. I don't believe that that's what it is myself. 
I don't want to turn into a human cucumber. Mm. This is ridiculous. And I mean, my doctor blew a gasket, like literally like, you know, well, if you don't do this, I'm going to give you like five years and that's all you're probably going to get out of this. And Mm. I just, it just shifted me profoundly to where Mm. I went, okay, I'm not buying this. I am going to get a second opinion. And I actually had another doctor um, in in Bend here who um, really agreed with me and just Mm. said, yeah, let's do this. And they did a lot more research. I had to go through like panels of genetic tests and all these things to determine that it was a lesser grade of tumor. And just, I grew so much through the process of Mm. my life counts and my voice counts. So Mm. when I look at the vulnerable populations that I'm working with, who don't necessarily have a voice, like, you know, these elderly people with dementia or whatever it might be, they can't call out for help necessarily. Mm -hmm. What's that going to look like in their reality of their life? So, um, and I, I do actually circling back to that day where I was in the doctor's office, there was an elderly man in a wheelchair who they were going to give, they were taking blood or he melted down in the waiting room, literally Mm -hmm. right there, right then, almost right in front of me. And that is, I think the day where I shifted, I went, okay, I've got to do something. I can't, Mm -hmm. I've got to help people. This is Mm -hmm. true. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. 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 Yeah, I, I mean, I'm really struck by what you're talking about in your story, all these layers of so many, I mean, there's so many layers to what you're experiencing, right? This like spiritual dimension, this questioning about meaning of life, and also this like advocacy piece and using your voice, and then also like externalizing that, how do I use that, you know, to help others and, um, I, yeah, I just, and, and like the idea of that you had these really slow gradual shifts and also these like very acute moments of awareness or realization or like, no, like right here, right now, this stops, this changes. It's like, I've crossed a threshold. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Just, I, this, the dimensionality of your story, I think is really powerful because I think our, you know, our, Western culture likes to really flatten stories, I think, and say, you know, it's like, it's either it was this way, or it was this way, or, you know, but I just love that there's, yes, again, so many dimensions to. to Yeah, it's it's almost like a, like a, like a quilt, you know, there's Mm -hmm. all these pieces that all come together to create, Mm -hmm. like, my existence and my reality amidst this larger reality of people. Um, mm-hmm. and what we're experiencing. And then there's even the bigger world reality of like, okay, we've got all these different religions and levels of spirituality. And what does that look like for people, you know, as they're going through their processes. So I think just my awakening of knowing I'm not like alone in this, like there's, there's, there's help. There's so many more people out there um, that need help as well. Mm. So yes. Mm. Yeah. And I, yeah, I just, uh, I love that, that like inner strength that I hear in your voice as you're saying that. And clearly that was born out of this process of, I mean, to some degree, it's really bold and audacious to sit there with a medical professional and say, you're wrong. Like, I just don't agree with you. (laughs) And there's, I love that, that, that strength and that knowing of, you know, I might not have the jargon or the, the same level of education, but I know my body and 
like you're wrong. <laughs> I think that's yeah, amazing. That, that was surprising that that came out at that point because I would never have normally been like that. I would have been like, oh, you know, my physicians, they know best and mm-hmm. I'm not going to second guess it. But I just felt this knowing of what was important to me. And I mean, that that's where I look at like people going through situations later in their life um, mm-hmm. and trying to like elderly people who are having different medical crises, you know, what's that going to look like? What are they going to end up in? You know, what, what is their reality going to look like? So mm-hmm. for my connection with um, wanting to help those type of uh, populations has come into play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just by yeah. My own voice and, and actually getting this reply from my doctor of, what's that going to do for me, then that doesn't make me feel very good when you give me five years. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's not very encouraging. Mm -hmm. So yeah, Mm -hmm. having to reach into the depths of my own being, Mm. really self examine and and what's important to me. Um, So in in hindsight, I it was the best thing I ever did. I mean, it was (laughs) like, it just Yeah, I, I don't even have words. It was tremendous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Um, I don't want to detract from your your story by any means, but I I do just want to share that like I had a kind of what you mentioned earlier. I had a very like minor cancer scare, like one of the sort of lighter. I had a, a stage one melanoma, mm. um, and you know that was years ago, and every you know everything was totally simple and fine. They did a surgery, and that was pretty much the end of it. Like it's you know, very easy, simple sort of little process, but the parallel, um, that I have been thinking about as you're talking is, um, that like, I had this, it's just just a funny, like an intuit, like an intuitive moment with my own body where I have, I have freckles like on my body. Uh, but I had this one little freckle on my leg that I just asked people for months. I kept being like, what do you think about this? And everybody would just be like, I don't, it's, I don't know. It's a freckle. Went to see a doctor. The doctor was like, Oh, I think it's just a freckle on a freckle. Like, I think it's fine. And I was like, no, that's still like, I just no, Like I just couldn't put it down. Finally went and saw a dermatologist who was like, if you're worried about it, we'll cut it off. Like that's no problem. And it was, yeah, it turns out it was malignant. So just there's something I think that we're not taught often in, in listening to that voice and trusting that, you know, we know our bodies and, um, and, and what you're saying, like that voice piece of, of like, I'm going to say something about this, even though people are telling me it's okay, or like not to worry about it, or, you know, or this is what's going to happen, you know? So I just, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, it reminds me of my, of my experience where I found my neck tumor. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it ended up being the size of a golf ball. Um, Cause it took over my whole thyroid. Mm-hmm. But I denied it, you know, for like probably three months and just went, mm-hmm. Oh, this thing's probably, it's probably okay. It's no biggie. It'll go away, you know, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, and I went, no, I need to really go mm-hmm. and have looked at and, boom, you know, it just Mm. spiraled into this bigger, you know, diagnoses and from there on. So I think I have a greater definite awareness of what's going on with me just intuitively, like Mm -hmm. checking myself going, okay, is this okay today? Or how do I feel about this with my own body and 
mm-hmm. and then helping with other people as well just mm-hmm. that realization of what might be going on with them yeah 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 I love that I think I wish that was something that we just had were taught throughout our lives you know like how do we tune in how do we listen how do we trust you know our own experiences and yeah, yeah. We all come from different family systems and again you right. know western culture it's it's about this individuality and mm-hmm. you know, I can push through and it's all going to be okay and I'm going to be strong and um, it, a, a situation like this, an experience with cancer is just, I, I've spoken with many other cancer survivors who have the same thing of just, it's an awakening and awareness or you don't come through it you know, you kind of, or, or there's varying, you know, gray areas in between, but it means something personal to each person is really yeah. what it comes down to. Yep. Yep. Definitely. Definitely. Is there, is there something else, you know, that you really want to share or like a thought that you, that has come up in this conversation or anything that, you know, you like really wanted to make sure got heard? Well, I think this, that gratitude piece again, um, just Mm -hmm. that awareness of the fact that life is finite. um, The human experience is finite. So that's the big take home for me that um, I want to get the gifts of each day. Um, and just really value those. And that's mm-hmm. been the, the biggest uh, take home for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And yeah, thank you for that reminder. Cause it is, it is so easily forgotten amidst the mm-hmm. paying bills and the traffic and, you know, these mundane things that take up so much of our space. But when, yeah, when we boil it down, it's like, that gratitude and, and being present or yeah, what's more, what's more important. So um, thank you. Thank you for sharing your story and thank you for advocating for yourself so that you're still here and able to, you know, move through life in this, you know, what seems to me like a very intentional way. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm grateful know for the really in the end it seems like an odd thing to say but um i'm i'm actually grateful for the shifts that mm-hmm. i've really gone through because i would not have experienced them mm-hmm. so I'm, mm-hmm. yeah i'm grateful to be here today and to be able to share my message i just want to say one more thing which is that i am not an expert I'm not here to tell people how to grieve or heal or what death is or isn't. My main goal with this project is simply to create space for us to share our stories about death and dying. And from that collective experience, enable all of us to feel less alone in facing the challenges of grief and loss. Thank you for listening, for being brave and vulnerable, and for your time. Any questions or comments, please get in touch with me. I'd love to hear from you and perhaps share your story too.